people on the internet versus people in real life. <laughs> Thankfully, people in real life are a lot, a lot more sensible and reasonable, aren't they? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've had anything like go viral, but I've got it's quite a lot of interest on Reddit for some project that I was working on, and a lot of people were very nasty. <laughs> like, why have you written it in JavaScript? Just <laughs> outraged. <laughs> Hello, and you're listening to Offscript. Today, we're going to be talking about lessons learned from building communities. So today, we're going to talk about lessons learned from building communities. Yeah, that um, sounds like a good one. I guess before we get into that, how are you doing? I'm pretty good, yeah, yeah. Quite surviving. a meeting-heavy week, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, surviving. Isn't that most weeks? <laughs> most weeks of that. Yeah. Uh, we've got our next events booked in, so we've got yes. Applied AI Leads version number three. That's coming up in a few weeks, isn't it? That's in a few weeks. Wonderful. And then the day after, we're doing a podcast live, mm. it's off script live, which will be really good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's technology funk-ups. Or fuck-ups. Yes. Uh, or fuck-ups. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. There's some good examples from history we can learn from. So uh, I'm, I think that'll be a, a good live recording in front of the audience. Yeah, the trick is to figure out which of our own mess-ups we can put in there without... Um, getting sued. Getting sued. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, it's really important to learn your mistakes, but not when you're going to get sued. Yeah, no, I think it'll be fine. Uh, a lot of them are from early on in my career when I didn't know what I was doing even more so than yeah. that. Yeah. I yeah, I'm looking for. I, I remember my my first job. I deleted the entire assets folder for a client. Yeah. On a, on a, so you know, there's some good stuff we can dig into. Oh there. yeah, yeah. <laughs> some blood, sweat, and tears. Mostly tears. Yeah. It was back in the FTP days as well, when there was no recovery whatsoever. Filezilla <laughs> <laughs> can't save you. No. Um, but no, I'm quite. I'm actually buzzing today because you just told me I made you a passable tea. Yeah, it's good. Good. It's good. How are you doing? Are you okay? I'm all right, like you, I'm surviving. Um, I think meeting heavy few weeks, it's that point at the end of the year now where everyone's starting to panic and, and try and plan for the next, you know, the next year. Um, reflecting on achievements and missed opportunities and looking at how we can do better next year. So um, quite quite fun for me, just joined Glean. So doing all that planning, getting to learn a lot. Yeah, yeah, Glean's looking like they're doing really well as well. Like yeah. it's a very interesting product, good time to get getting stuck in with that yeah absolutely yeah i think it's uh really exciting things around the corner so hopefully be able to talk about that a bit more in the new year but um but yeah all good looking forward to christmas actually and we've got some nice little i'm going to ff conf actually uh, this friday nice um which by the time this probably um goes out it'll be been and gone but yeah looking forward to that it's always an amazing conference that remy and julie do so and they've asked you to be a backup speaker because of covid yes. they've learned that yeah. If they don't have those, yeah. they just end up with half an empty schedule. <laughs> yeah, it's such a different world, isn't it, these days? Because we never used to have to worry too much about it. If you, you know, if someone had a cold or, you know, it's, it's quite rare that someone had an illness that would really stop them coming to a conf. Yeah, I've seen people muddle through with sore throats and stuff and yeah. it's fine. But um, it's less acceptable now, especially if you've got COVID. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, you can't really go and mix and socialise when, you, when you've got COVID. It's not a very sensible idea, obviously. So. Yeah, people don't want to fly and things like that. So Yeah, so so no, so I was, I was honoured to be asked just to be the backup speaker, to be honest. So um, hopefully it won't be needed and hopefully it'll all go to plan. So um, so yeah, looking forward to being an attendee, if nothing else, at that conference. It's always a, always a brilliant one. And Brighton's just a wicked city. I, I absolutely love it. Yeah, Brighton. it's so good. So yeah. 
So we're going to talk about um, lessons learned from building communities today. Um, I This came up because I was kind of writing a conference talk for next year in general and wanted to reflect on my own experiences building the conference and everything around that really. Um, so it's quite an interesting exercise just to kind of like write down what makes up a good community. Yeah. Um, and you've been community building for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So we know each other. Yeah. Sort of through the Hay events and stuff. So yeah, it feels like we've known each other a lot longer than what's probably what a decade. Maybe. A decade. Yeah. Actually, yeah. It's quite a while. Yeah. It's that's a long <laughs> while. <laughs> when you say decade, that sounds like a long time. <laughs> yeah. But um, but yeah. No. So it's it's been quite an important part of my life, and and writing this down uh, was quite a good fun exercise actually. Um, nice. But then I guess when I started to write some of these things down, I I realised that. I needed to acknowledge uh, my own position and privilege in the, in the whole process. Uh, being kind of a white guy in tech gives me certain, affords me certain things that others wouldn't have when setting up events and things like that. So um, I kind of wanted to state that as, as a kind of entrance. Nice. I'm into this. But, um, but yeah, I think one of the things that I kind of figured out is it's really hard to build communities. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's not just slinging something on Eventbrite and... No. Adjuring everyone, although that is part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it is a lot harder than that. What, mm. what do you think the struggles were when you first started? Because you were, it was in the Faversham, wasn't it? The first events that I remember. Yeah, I think doing it in a student union style pub is, is a challenge. <laughs> yeah, we had a few incidents where people were running in screaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People on very different levels. Like I talk about CSS, and someone's trying to get as drunk as possible. Yeah. And don't always collaborate. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, to be fair, some of the attendees were also trying to get as drunk as possible. Yeah. I mean, you know, free bars and yeah. stuff. You learn. Yeah. <laughs> you learn easily. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's kind of um, there's no shortcuts either to, to starting a community. Um, I think uh, it's really hard for for you individually as well if you're starting something because a lot of the time people won't turn up to what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, for one reason or another, it might just be a quiet week. People might be busy. Um, it might not be an interesting event. Um, but when people don't turn up, that's pretty hard going. Yeah, definitely. Especially if you've paid money to book the venue or you put money behind the bar. Yeah. And you you sat there and there's three people in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That's that's always I think when when you take that fear to like the bigger events as well, there's always the fear of like, ah, oh, you know, I've put money into this conference. Is it gonna sell out? Is it gonna get enough people? Bums on seats. Um so when you start to see tickets come in, you kinda like, oh thank God. Yeah. Well I've I've started compiling a list of events to attend next year and comparing it to previous years. It's yeah. slim pickings at the moment. Oh, really? Either people are not announcing yet yeah. and waiting to see what demand's like, um, or some of them have just stopped. I'm not sure. Do you mean specifically conferences? Specifically conferences rather than meetups and events, yeah. Well, we've seen a few. What was the big one in Amsterdam? The CSS Day, was it, that pulled? Yeah. One of them, um, quite a big one. Yeah, it's becoming increasingly harder to to put on events. Um, people commit really late on in the day um, or just you know, not fancying those sorts of events anymore. And it's yeah. hard, isn't it? Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Um, that's that's one kind of thing. If you if you are if you've got a, an event that you've eyeballed for for in the future, get buy a ticket, show the organizer that there's interest, um, because otherwise they'll get might get pulled. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think the one of the first things that I started to look into is trust. Trust is obviously a big part of communities. Um, I kind of made the point in in writing this talk that you know, if you look on the internet. It's quite hard to trust people because the internet's full of horrendous people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is. 
Um, but you know, part of it is um, is building kind of this environment of trust. You have to trust that people will be good to you and act in good faith. Um, but also, just kind of instead of looking for the bad traits in people, and look at the differences that that kind of make us what we are and, and try and confront your own fears and biases around all that sort of stuff. It's hard though, isn't it? It's hard. It is hard, yeah. Um, yeah, I think people on the internet versus people in real life. <laughs> Thankfully, people in real life are a lot, a lot more sensible and reasonable, aren't they? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've had anything like go viral, but I've got it's quite a lot of interest on Reddit for some project that I was working on and a lot of people were very nasty. <laughs> like, why have you written it in JavaScript? It's just outraged. It's amazing how um, how angry people get. And, you know, I understand it's, it's important to have passionate uh, passionate debates about certain things, but equally, people are there's people behind the keyboards and, you know, we need to just remember that. Yeah, I mean... X Twitter is the sort of cesspool of the internet, isn't it? And uh, if you call it X again, I'm going to have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I refuse to call it X. <laughs> but they're going to put a, a sheen of AI over the top, now, aren't they? Yeah, that'll make it better. <laughs> That's going to help. Yeah, not, not petrol on the fire at all. I trust the bots to definitely <laughs> articulate their thoughts in a much better way than humans. Yeah, Elon and yeah, dumpster truck of opinions. What could possibly happen? <laughs> yeah. What could possibly go wrong? Exactly. Um, but yeah, I think when, the more I dug into it, the more I realized that you have, you kind of build this risk aversion from previous experiences. So if you go to an event, for example, and you have a terrible time, you're probably not going to go to many events in the future, or you're going to color um, things in proximity to events with the same sort of feelings, which is like, okay, social occasions, work events, hobbies, like it can make you quite insular when you have a bad experience in these sorts of things. Yeah, definitely. I think I've been to some events where it feels like a sales pitch mm. and it's a free event fine but it kind of puts you off a bit doesn't it uh, yeah oh i hate the link like the linkedin influencer sort of wanky events where you just got a, a recruit i'm gonna say a recruitment consultant consultancy who have possibly just not thought about it thought how can we get as many people in here with free beer and pizza and yeah. sell some shit to you yeah yeah and there's there's recruiters that do it right, like James Westwood. Yeah, um, absolutely. And they know that the content is the key part of the event mm. and they're just there to support. And if you need them, mm. but it's not front and centre and they're not overly pushy at all. And that's what it needs to be. No, I think um, at the, the last live event we did with Work Digital, actually, James kind of spent a bit of time at the start just talking about community, actually, and, yeah. and not talking really about work in any particular detail. And, and that's kind of you know, they're, they're playing an active part in supporting communities and that's what we need to be seeing, really. Yeah, you just know they're there if you need them, but it's not like, yeah, yeah, very pushy sort of recruiter style thing that you get. Yeah, and and that kind of goes on to the next point, which is like they are playing the long game. You know, they're, they're going through the kind of process of building their own community um, within what they're doing. And that's where that consistency is, is crucial. Um, consistency is what makes communities grow. Um, there are definitely no shortcuts to building communities um, and they just take a lot of time and effort organically building most of the time. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we had a good go at that with the Lead Soup events, didn't we? Uh, yeah. And we did get into a good run of it, but it just sort of fizzled a little bit, especially yeah. when we had COVID and all the rest of it. I think COVID was one of the things, but also I think it's immensely time-consuming to run it. So Lead Suit was an event that we ran, which was like a a charity event where it was almost like Dragon's Den for charity funds, wasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. 
so it was really quite well received in Leeds. We had some really uh, good attendance and uh, we, we held quite a few events, probably raised about 20, 20 grand in total, I think, something like that. But yeah, um, yeah it, I think we just kind of lost the momentum with it because it was just a hell of a lot to organise alongside everything else. On top of a job that feels more than full-time already. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot, isn't it? Yeah, which is, you know, I have a lot of respect for, I mean, we met um, an amazing chap called Ash um, through the Super Events that runs a charity initiative in Hare Hills called Catch. Yeah. Um, and he's committed his entire life to this, basically. He's he's not taking holidays because he's been volunteering. He's, you know, I have so much respect for people that throw that level of energy into a community. Yeah, um, yeah, Ash is great. Something else, isn't it, really? Um. But yeah, so kind of started to reflect on my own journey, started to look at how I started these events in Leeds and, and how it grew from the Faversham, like you mentioned earlier, going through COVID, building the conference. Um, I actually did some stats and over 5,000 people have kind of come to the events over the years, which is pretty cool, um, considering it was just a small pub meetup to start with. Nice. Um, but yeah, so then started to look at what makes a good community. And this is where you start to get into the guts of like, you know, some of the more challenging things that you have to look inwardly about how things make you feel. Um, so it's much harder than coding. <laughs> yeah. You've got to think about your feelings and think about how interactions make you feel. Um, and like, look at good examples of communities that make you feel um, kind of safe and, and, and vulnerable, I guess. And for me, some of those spaces are like um, club environments and music environments where, you know, it's not really about the participants is the collective um, being together that kind of makes it something nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the the Hay events always had that nice feeling where you could sort of join any conversation. It was mm. very social. Yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, some events you go to and it's quite st sterile sort of feeling. Mm. And don't know how they can't really explain how you change it, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can just. It's just lots of little things, isn't it? I think so. I mean, I think it starts with the environment, doesn't it? So, you know, the Faversham wasn't a good example of this because there was just a few chairs, but there were some sofas in the room as well. I yeah, think. I think so. lighting is a, and music are important, Yeah, um, which a lot of people just miss. Yeah. Because it's just, oh, we'll just, we'll sling some pizzas in the middle of the office, oh, which you can yeah. do, but it's not really going to work. But when you've got like really stark office lighting and it, it just doesn't, it doesn't make people feel comfortable. It makes them feel very on show, I think. Yeah, we're giving out the secrets of the game away now, aren't we? Know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Keep the pizzas going, keep them going. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think when we moved to the Belgrave, that was a big change because we had loads of sofas, low lighting, wasn't networking unless you felt like you wanted to. Yeah. Um, that was quite a big thing. Um, but then I started to kind of dig a bit deeper and think about, well, what are the, what are the things that kind of make those interactions better with, with like, you know, what interactions feel comfortable and yeah. i started to draw comparisons between like communities and teams in like a professional context yeah um and then i kind of we're doing a lot of stuff with like team building healthy teams at the moment with with glean and we were kind of drawn back into that five dysfunctions of a team book by patrick lencioni i think you know this great book yeah here. it's an amazing book um and i would recommend you read it because it talks about um, these kind of five pillars um, that define like traits of a dysfunctional team. So the kind of pillars are absence of trust, fear of conflict, lack of commitment, avoidance of accountability and inattention to results. And if you look at like them and how they cross over into the world of um, 
communities, there's a lot of similarities and I, I got quite excited during these similarities when I was going through the dysfunction stuff. Nice. What, what have you learned from the dysfunctions? Um, I think it's, well, on the trust level, it's being being vulnerable, so letting people know your weaknesses, which I think you've sort of been brought up to think, I need to compete with other people, and I need to be better than other people, and mm. that is obviously is good, yeah. <laughs> good driver. <laughs> yeah. But um, but what that causes is um, some negative aspects, which is like to try and conceal weaknesses or failings, mm. and to to make it look like the only output that you have is perfect. Yeah, and actually that's quite toxic because it means that other people feel that they can't fail. Yeah. And then you just end up with this culture where no one wants to admit it's mistakes or failings. Uh, yeah. And that's the trust, trusting, but it plays into some of the other dysfunctions as well. Yeah, I was about to say, because that's, that's similar to number four, which is the avoidance of accountability. And if you don't have trust and you're not honest in your, in your kind of interactions there, it's really hard to like trace, you know, where things go wrong and, and put them right. Um, but they're kind of, I forgot to mention, the, the five dysfunctions is like a pyramid, isn't it? So yeah. they're all dependent on each other and trust is the foundational value. Um, I think there's something in the book, it talks about like uh, successful people are taught to be protective. You, you know, you mentioned kind of that competitive nature, I guess, is kind of that protectiveness. Yeah, that's it. Um, and I guess, yeah, social stuff and getting to know people um, on a personal level is really good for trust as well. Yeah. Um, because it builds bridges and mm. when you need a favour, you can't, if you're, if you're really in the shit, you can't just shout, <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you need to help me. That's completely <laughs> the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Um, if you get to that point, you know that the wheels are coming off. Really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you need, yeah, not bank favours, but like mm. if you, you, yeah, you need to help people out and you need to know them inside out as well. Um Mm. otherwise they won't help you when you're stuck yeah and as you mentioned i think sharing experiences with your peers kind of builds this trust and that was one of the things i think we did early on in the events it's like it's about storytelling it's about sharing those like those failures like we're going to be doing in a few weeks time or and um empathy and relatability play a large part in this and sharon steed's done loads of good work on this if you've known oh sharon. yeah i she's, met sharon yes great she's awesome um but she talks a lot about kind of empathy and um she, for her own experiences like having a having a speaking impediment like how that's affected her and yeah it's quite quite impressive um some of the stuff so if you haven't seen sharon's stuff I, actually i think on the hey present site there's a talk or two from sharon oh nice yeah i spoke alongside her at um beyond Telemund, i think it was oh nice yeah, yeah. She's, she's great also lovely to hang out with and um and loves wine so if yeah. you like wine i like wine too so. yeah i think we were doing shots actually yeah <laughs> sorry doing you a disservice there sharon apologies <laughs> um but yeah so the the second kind of aspect of the five dysfunctions is the, the fear of conflict and i'm sure we both experience situations where um where we have had Situations where there's been conflict in a very negative in a negative way, right? Yeah, and this is an area that I'm not good at. But um, yeah, you, you, it's kind of a personality thing. It depends on your childhood, how you how you react to conflict. Mm. Some people like lean into it. Yeah, like American culture, like you get your sort of gunner type mm. personality when they're like, I thrive with conflict, and they go about it the wrong way. Mm. So this this. I think there's like, you can either be 
too avoidant or too eager for conflict. <laughs> yeah. You want to just be in the middle. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a fine balance. Yeah, I, I think that's, um, it is quite cultural as well, as you said. I think um, I, I remember a, a team that I was in where there was there was someone who was just really up for conflict, um, but they hadn't, there was no, there wasn't the trust in the team. Yeah. And it was every interaction that was like, actually looking back on it, the conflict was there to try and get some, some good outcomes, but the, the, the intentions were not so good. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you if people feel attacked, then it's it's not good because you start hurting feelings and like trampling on their area of expertise. Um, yeah. And yeah, what you don't want is just the loudest person in the room shouting and yeah, that's winning. The worst. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's tricky, and it yeah, it very much depends on the team dynamics. I find yeah. like sometimes you'll need to sort of make sure that the quietest person in the room is actually speaking up. Yeah. sometimes that's, um, that's really hard like I'm sure you've still had plenty of meetings where you've recognised that the, 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 in, the um, inputs from certain people are not as big as you'd like you try to elevate that but that's also quite hard because some people only speak when they really feel comfortable yeah speaking. and also you don't want to be like what do you think and then put them on the spot yeah. although a little bit of that's nice but it depends on the person they might think that you're an absolute asshole for doing that <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Old. yeah I don't know yeah. but, but again if you've got the trust there then it's a lot easier right because they trust that you're just trying to support them not not throw them under a bus yeah that's it I mean yeah I mean you've got artificial harmony on one side and then you've got like just cruel horrible <laughs> conflict on the other yeah and they're both bad if everyone's just pretending everything's fine that is really bad because in the book it's that sliding scale isn't it they yeah, have like it. yeah I think it's like the, the fear of conflict is boring meetings. Cool conflict is like argument happening disrespectfully. Horrendous situation, right? Yeah. You, messy collaboration is, I know that's not the term they use in the book, but that's the term that I like because it's like, let's bring all of our problems yeah. for like closer to the beginning of the project mm. and get them done rather than just this happy, yeah. you do the design and I'll do the back end. <laughs> and at some point it'll all work out because it doesn't, yeah, but also that kind of oh, and they're not quite. It's not quite right. But you did your best. Yeah, yeah. So no, let's let's talk about why it's not right. Yeah, you know. yeah. It, it being too nice is just going to delay the inevitable, which is that conversation when it doesn't actually work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, it's it's really interesting looking into the kind of dynamics of that. Um, I, yeah, I, I think it's it's, st it's stated in the book teams that fear conflict ignore controversial topics they they end up having back channel discussions um and it just wastes energy and i think that's a really interesting lesson to take forward yeah definitely um so the kind of third step of this is lack of commitment so commit committing to a decision or a direction um a decision is better than no decision is the general kind of gist of this isn't it really yeah it's tricky um or as a founder company owner um, obviously your, your commitment to a project is very different to someone else's yeah, and it's quite difficult <laughs> like I think the book sort of the opening introductions like how you as a founder can be quite different from an employee uh, yeah. but yeah it's tricky isn't it because yeah. what you've got obviously no one's going to care about the business as much as you do no. um, and yeah how do you how do you get that into yeah how do you sort of bridge the gap 
Um, I think I think it goes back to that that original pillar of trust works both ways. Like you need to trust that your employees have the best intentions for the business, and you know, it's not always about like try the hardest you can. Like it's not really about that. And I think actually a large part of commitment is about inclusion and. If you feel like you're not part of a decision or you can't contribute to a decision, it grows resentment and resentment leads to lack of commitment. Yes, that's it. And a lot of people don't need th- their opinion. It's it not their decision doesn't need to be the right decision. Like so let's say everyone disagrees, mm. but the team decide that the different direction is the right way to go. A lot of people will disagree and commit, and that's yeah. what you want. Yeah. And um, just I know I know I didn't get my way this time, but yeah. The team have decided, so let's just get on with it. Yeah, it's about the uh, the collective winning, not you winning individually. And yeah, yeah the disagree and commit things, the big thing we've been talking about recently. It's like we 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 kind of hash out all the all the the perspectives. We talk through the different options. At the end of the day, if we feel like collectively we've made the right decision, we commit and we move forward. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's important. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, so the, four, the fourth pillar is avoidance of accountability. And accountability is key, not just in teams, but in everyday life, obviously. Um, being accountable for your own shit is important. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, don't see enough of it in some areas. Like to, like to. But, um, but no, I think it's just an important life lesson, really. Um, I think you can only really be accountable if those pillars we mentioned before are present so you're comfortable in conflict you're you, you trust your team um you're committed to the outcomes yeah it, if people are in a happy team um and working in like sprint or agile and people can put their hands up and say i'm gonna own this and that's yeah. what you want mm. um and i think agile scrum's a good way of mm. doing that fostering that yeah but but sometimes it can feel like uh, depending on the team, like like you're almost forcing stuff onto people. Um, it's hard, isn't it? Because like, as a facilitator in those scenarios, you want to like, so are you going to take that? Are you comfortable with that? All good? Yeah. And the best team members will stick their hand up for the hard stuff and yeah. and grab it by the horns. And But also like accepting it's how like, I, I, yes, I'll own this. I'm, I'm not sure how it's going to go. Yeah. And <laughs> oh, I might need help or yeah. actually could we make it a spike instead of the actual thing itself yeah. or whatever it is that they need to do to push back. Yeah. Like to bite off the right amount for them mm. to feel comfortable to, to, to take it as theirs. Yeah. It, what's the, the worst thing is if people don't do that and it goes back to... It's the other points around the, the conflict avoidance. Yeah. If if they just say, okay, I'll have a go, and then <laughs> yeah, they've avoided the conflict then, yeah. <laughs> but then the conflict's going to come in two weeks' time at the end of the sprint when they go, yeah. I had no fucking idea what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, well, you could tell us that at the beginning of the sprint, but that's okay. Yeah. I think, uh, <laughs> the, there's a quote from the book that I like, which is the enemy of accountability is ambiguity. Uh, yeah. And that is very true. Like, you can only be accountable for things that you understand. Oh, yeah. If it's fluffy as hell, yeah. which a lot of client briefs are, we need to unfluffy it and yeah. what are the solid things that we can actually do. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, teams that are accountable identify problems quicker. Um, it's easy to trace accountable actions and avoid that bureaucracy that um, makes all that sort of stuff just absolute hell. Yeah, 100%. 
Um, and then, yeah, so finally you've got kind of inattention to results, which is uh, kind of achieving the objectives that you set out to deliver. Um, effective teams focus on collective rather than individual outcomes. And that's something that's quite hard to do in teams, I feel, like get that shared ownership of a deliverable. Yeah. It's challenging. Very tricky, um, especially when people feel like a small part of the puzzle, mm. um, but everyone is a, is a cog, yeah. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's yeah it it can be it can be quite tricky to f- feel ownership of that and um, yeah. yeah yeah I think um, back to what we were saying about some of the conflicts as well. The desires sometimes get in the way. So like a single person wanting to take all the glory for something, or yeah, and um, that's the sort of stuff that's. Um, really challenging because I think people who strive to take the glory in that way aren't actually I believe that the good intentions are there I don't believe that it's something like just a you know me 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 I think it's more that they're just trying to drive that outcome but sometimes it comes over as a individual win rather than a group win yeah and you sometimes get people focusing on the wrong things if they if they'll do the thing that they think they can do and ignore the wider team goals so yeah make a big old document about something yeah and then that's their output for the sprint it's like yeah well, that's not really helped where we're going but <laughs> thank you <laughs> thanks thanks for it but <laughs> yeah but you, you know where we're going right but yeah it's tricky um yeah. yeah it's um i think the thing that i took away from all of this is communication is really fucking hard yeah yeah it is yeah, yeah. It, okay. it is and people got let's say they're not on the project full time or they're going through a difficult personal time or whatever it is. Yeah. They might not want to fully commit. And yeah. if, if you're getting a sense of that, it might be worth just chatting to them one to one and unpicking it and either yeah. giving them more time or, or whatever it is they need yeah. to support them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing is like, these things are inherently messy and sometimes they will not, become less messy <laughs> no and yeah um finding out about what the mess is yeah is not going to fix it but it's the first step isn't it <laughs> yeah it's yeah it's understanding kind of some of the the key challenges that you've got as a team um as you said like if someone's going through a, a difficult personal time you, you you can support that person better knowing that and, and knowing how some of those challenges in the five functions play into what they're going through right so. yeah and yeah and yeah to know that you need people to to put the hand up and say I, I don't know or I can't do this or yeah um, yeah I'm struggling or something yeah I um so when we'd gone through those like five points I was like isn't this a bit of a tedious link back to um to kind of communities and I, I don't think so because there's a decent amount of research into all this sort of stuff and I think the way that people behave professionally at work is very much similar to the way they behave in communities or at home or you know, a lot of people are who they are at work when they're at home. Um, so I think it's important to look at how these things are, are similar. And like, if you look at things on the five um, pillars, so like absence of trust, if we don't trust an organizer or a group, um, we will not participate in that event at all, really. Yeah, yeah um, that's it. Like, I, you know, examples of like good events that you've been to, often you start with that kind of base level of trust that the organizer is going to do right by you, support you, the code of conduct is correct, you know, those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and then like moving on to fear of conflict, like if we don't challenge opposing ideas, we end up with this like closed view of the world, which I think conferences are amazing at, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it opens you to other ideas and ways of thinking. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, 
I, c- I couldn't even count on one hand uh, how many conference talks I've seen that have just really made me think differently about a subject or or really reconsider my view completely. Um, I think that's quite an important part. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then like lack of commitment, if we don't make decisions that take us out of our comfort zone, how can we progress? You know, I think the commitment thing in this context is about your personal commitment to improving yourself, learning more. Um, I think communities play a big part in that. Yeah, I think, yeah, um, giving talks as well, being part of the community, if the best way to learn something is to teach it as well. So, yeah, yeah, get people involved in public speaking, which I think some of the speakers on the circuit now did their first events with you as well didn't they so yeah, it's like a cool. good leg up isn't it yeah <laughs> into yeah. here you go off you go to the <laughs> industry yeah all the best <laughs> yeah, yeah good luck <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think that platform for like getting kind of people onto the stage is a really important one um yeah i think as well like the the kind of avoidance of accountability step is um i think as 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 nice as i've discussed some of these things there's also examples of bad actors in in the community and i think being accountable for your actions and owning when people make mistakes um not about cancel culture not about just writing them off but learning from mistakes um understanding why interactions at events maybe weren't the most positive or mistakes were made and learning from them um obviously i'm talking about like some of the more mild um cases of this if someone's done something horrendous they they should be oh yeah yeah <laughs> called yeah. out for it um <laughs> i think thankfully that most people in the space play quite nicely but there are, there's been a few hasn't there but yeah i think if you look at like a modern code of conduct it's quite it's quite self-regulating these days i think a lot of people are quite happy to signpost to negative experiences and obviously organizers can do what they need to do then but yeah and even like just any inclus- inclusivity um like you you'll now find that conferences are really trying to make sure it's not an all white male yeah. lineup yeah um by yeah opening up to um yeah calls for speakers and stuff and actually reaching out to people and yeah. you do a big, really good job at that with the um Thanks. the hay conference and it it is good <laughs> <laughs> thanks <laughs> yeah it's it's i think it's um i think it's the responsibility of an organizer to try and do that that sort of thing as well yeah definitely um so yeah i I guess um you know there's there's kind of a uh you could get sucked into the kind of linkedin influencer bullshit with some of this dysfunction stuff it's worth saying like you know depending on where you read it and whose take you read on that sort of stuff there's loads of different angles on it but i do think the principles outlined in five dysfunctions are are good and they're a good foundation for the discussion we're having here but also just like healthy discussions amongst leadership teams and things like that yeah, just don't use them as blunt instruments to get your way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or write really lengthy LinkedIn posts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. If you start to use it as like, a, oh, but you said conflict's great. <laughs> so, no. Yeah, and I yeah. told him it was a whatever. <laughs> yeah. That's not what we meant. <laughs> yeah. No, we didn't mean do that. Um, but yeah, I, I guess the kind of final point is that there are givers and takers. Um, so there's a really good t- um, TED Talk by Adam Grant called Are You a Giver or Taker? Um, shout out to Gwen Diagram actually for my team who shared oh, this nice. with me. She, she's, it's a really good talk. Um, Gwen sent it me. I was like, that's great. Um, because it talks about people who constantly give, constantly take, those who match kind of their behavior to certain personality types. Um, 
but yeah I, I th it's worth a watch as well we'll put the link to this in the show notes oh nice looks like there's a book as well oh is there um, oh nice but yeah i will have a look ace um oh well if that's a book uh, also spotify have just released loads of audiobooks Ooh, on nice. premium so like it might be on there too that's good um but yeah it's a really interesting um adam talks about um the um what the makeup of successful teams it's not all givers it's not all takers it's not all matches it's interesting the way he talks about the science behind it um definitely worth a watch if you are interested in that sort of thing amazing uh, sounds really cool but yeah i think that's kind of generally the gist of this this talk i don't think i've really missed anything from our conversations previously have i i don't think so yeah i think that'll be a good talk and yeah i i think dysfunctions and um community building out i do have a lot of parallels yeah um, yeah so Ace. thanks for running us through yeah thanks for thanks for the chat big team cheers thanks for listening to off scripts hit subscribe to get more episodes from us in the future and we'll see you next time